Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. And now, welcome tonight's host, John the Vernomatic Verno. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Iron Dog Days of Summer. It's August. It's 6,000 degrees outside. We're all having an excellent summer, and we're looking forward to resuming tonight our ongoing History of Metal series. In just a minute, I'm going to be bringing in my two brothers in metal, the co-hosts of this flight that we do, Ian O'Rourke from the band Motorlord and from the metal capital of the East Coast, Metal Walt from New Jersey. But first, I want to remind you to visit the brand new metal. It's not so brand new anymore, but the new MetalMayhemROC.com website. Sign up for our newsletter. It's our way to stay in touch with you about everything related to the show. Do us a favor. Download some past shows. See what's going on with um, what we've been doing here. Metal Walt did a solo Graham Bonin interview a few weeks ago. Check that one out. I had... uh, a joint venture with that very own metal Walt. We uh, caught up with Orante a few weeks ago, that female guitarist from Cooper and some various other outlets. She has some new music. So we had her and again, uh, the history of metal series. So check that out right tonight. I said, we're going to be doing the year 1988. It was uh, the late eighties. Uh, everything was in excess. Uh, the hairspray was crazy. Sunset strip was still going but some other bands were making their mark. So we're going to get to all that. Let me bring on here from uh, New Jersey, Metal Walt. Hey, Walt, how you doing, man? I am good. How are you guys? Ian, how you doing? Doing good, brother. How are you doing? I am enjoying my summer. I, uh, I feel like it's been uh, 34 years since we did our last History of Heavy Metal series, which is <laughs> 34 years since 1988. And it feels like 34 years since we've done 1987, right? Sure, it's been a minute. It's been a minute for sure. Well, you know what? The history of metal, that's the fun thing. It's the history. It's not going anywhere. So we revisit it, but you know, we've been busy. It's 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 a good thing that if we're um involved with other things, it means we're enjoying ourselves and you know, and hopefully people out there catching sure. all these shows are enjoying their summer. So, but that being said, let's get into this. Well. I'm going to have you, as always, start this out. Where are we in 88 and what is the metal and hard rock landscape? All right. So uh, 88, listen, I, uh, I, I think this is that uh, the pinnacle of that uh, hair period of the 80s. And I think, uh, you know, this is another year where, you know, we have uh, release after release after big bands, new bands coming in. But my honest take is, this is kind of that peak of the 80s, 89, which I'll touch on a little bit later, also is, is quite memorable when you look back at it. But this is almost the beginning of uh, the changing of the guard, right? So I think what uh, we, we're going to do tonight is we're all going to kind of just share a little bit about our impressions of 1988 and what it meant to each of us, let's say, personally, mm-hmm. and on some of the songs and some of the albums, Um 
you know, and just uh, and just hope you guys uh, appreciate it and you can relate to it. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it off. So, you know what? 88 to me. Listen, this was my senior year of high school. I was riding high, going off to college, had my first car, had my, you know, uh, whatever stereo in my 76 Buick Skylark with a bunch of dents on it. And I'm spinning cassette after cassette after cassette. My playlist was probably not what everybody else's playlist was, but it's what it meant for me. That was the most important thing. But 88, when you look back and you do your research, I see it as, oh my God, I counted 29, maybe 30 songs that if you were to put a playlist together on you know, any streaming device or looking it up online, and you just wanted to have a party and say, let's throw 80s rock in there. Probably 30 of these songs that showed up are going to be from releases coming out in 1988. It's actually absurd the closer you look at it. Well, wait a the, second. Let me let me ask you. Well, give us some examples of these songs. Well, what's going to make the Never Want to Hear Again list from Metal Wall? I mean, I'll take two examples. Lita Ford, When I Close My Eyes Forever, and um, Kiss Me Deadly, right? Two songs from that album. The Danzig self-titled release or his debut released right? Mother. There's two examples, right? Um, Living Color. Granted, it's not, let's say, 80s rock, but it's it's categorized in there. Cult of Personality. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And you could cover Bon Jovi, then the Bullet Boys, and Cinderella, and Vixen, and Van Halen, and David Lee Roth, even Metallica for that matter, right? And when you take a look at all of these songs, you're going to come up with 25 to 30 songs that you're going to say, man, these are great at the time. And these were awesome songs. However, I don't ever need to hear them again. I, I'll, I'll give you that. But some of those first examples, like the how many Lita Ford to the average listener, how many Lita Ford songs would they know? How many Danzig? Not more than these two or maybe one extra. That's the <laughs> Danzig, the same thing. So I get where you're going with that. And I agree with that. But those first couples are like the uh, one hit wonders that you're never going to hear again. Uh, Ian, what do, you, what do you think about this? What do you think about Walt's... Um, not n- never hear again song list. I, listen, I never hear it again. It's a phrase that we throw around. Do I, you know, is stuff definitely overplayed for sure. There's a lot of, of credibility to what he's stating about it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of this, this stuff that even on, you know, terrestrial radio, you know, you'll be flipping the channels and you'll hear stuff pop up, you know, and if it doesn't occur, multiple times throughout the day it occurs multiple times throughout the week so i'm with, I'm with you but you know there's probably people listening to this saying hey these guys are knuckleheads i love that song we're just overqualified you know yeah. <laughs> so yeah. but that's a great point walt it's an excellent point the um I'll, i'm sorry i rudely uh took over your thought but fin- finish what you're saying about you know this whole never want to hear it again or overplayed songs well, again, but then if you if you put yourself back into your 18 year to my 18 year old self and I'll just looking I'm looking it up now, you know, the, the Cinderella release that came out long cold winter that was probably a favorite of mine that year, you know, and I absolutely geeked out over falling apart in the seams and Gypsy Road and don't know what you got till it's gone and the last mile and coming home, you know, it's just that. Those songs meant so much to me back then, but that there's six songs from that album that had videos on 
you know, yeah. the MTV channel. And they're great, but it's like, well, you know what? It's like I've almost retired them. However, if I'm going to go see Tom Kiefer in 2022, I'm looking forward to hearing those songs in a live setting. It's maybe different now, you know? And I'm sure you guys have the same take on something about one of these albums as well. Uh, again, yeah, totally. You know, I, I like those songs from Cinderella. That's what brought them to the forefront. But taking that philosophy, you go to a band like Anthrax. They come out with State of Euphoria. Now, State of Euphoria, when they even released that, they've gone on record after the fact saying that it was rushed. They're trying to, you know, capture the momentum from the uh, Among the Living. And, um, you know, so there wasn't really much on that album. Ian, well, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, you know, uh, Day to Euphoria was a good album. There was some, you know, memorable stuff because again, you know, this is stuff that was near and dear to the the lunatics that I hung out with back in the day. Yeah. You know, the long haired pot smoking assholes, you know, this is what we were, you know, part of what we were throwing around. And, um, you know, to, to piggyback off of Walt, the nostalgia of all of this is the thing that any of this music has, has, made it ingrained in us mm -hmm. you know, because it brings you back to a point of reference to a, a, a point in time or something that happened. You know, I can't even listen to the New Jersey album without thinking about an ex-girlfriend that was totally, totally yeah. obsessed well, with Bon Jovi. That, that's yeah, no, you're right. And that's what, that's the magic of music. It, yep. I, there's times when I hear something and I, and myself, I go back to, you know, 19, the year or that sure. time in my life. And that yep. that's the cool part. Um, let's see. There, there's some other things uh, like Megadeth. So far, so good. So what? Now I'm a big Megadeth fan with them from the beginning. Sure. Uh, you know, the peace sells killing is my business. And to this day, I still go back and I think it's, I, it exemplifies this point that you just made. I go back to a young Vernomatic in 87, 88, and listening to that, I saw the tour. I yeah. totally remember the uh, the whole, you know, Jeff Young was in the band at the time, Dan Beeler. It was just a different time frame. And, you sure. know, that's a chapter of Megadeth that I that I love. Now, are there, what was that? Was that the album with Anarchy? Anarchy, Anarchy? yep. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, so uh, it's... A lot of these bands, they were young at the time and they're making their impression and they were trying to get their, I don't want to say get their, well, they're trying to get their music on the radio. It was 1988. That was the, the time. Well, where, where were you in 88 on some of these other bands? What were some of your favorites that may have not have been at the top of the charts? You know, any local Jersey bands that made it big or what, what, what other Bands were you into. So um, before I get to that, I want to make a remark about the Anthrax album, State of Euphoria. This to me was Anthrax. You know, to me, my memory of that was not necessarily those songs, which I think were good. And, you know, they were solid, but it was they were wearing shorts at that point yeah. and bright colors. I mean, the goddamn album cover was yellow. Like, come on. That's like to me, it was like I remember going buying the cassette going, a yellow anthrax cover? I mean, those guys are dark. It's black. It's red. It's, right? These guys are wearing colorful shirts and shorts and weird wristbands. You know, it was just a different a different approach to them, but it, the songs were still good. So anyway, that was 
that was that. But I'm just going to throw a couple random ones out there. Um, and go ahead, get ready to laugh at me. But one of my favorites from 1988 was the Vinnie Vincent Invasion All Systems Go album. And listen, it was something that I, I the, the album cover was purple and it was cool. And the, the sound on there was just that great analog sound. And, and the songs were good, man. They were ripping and shredding and they were very melodic. There was a couple ballads on there. And I remember, you know, making that mixed cassette and giving it to my high school girlfriend and having, you know, some of those more sexually innuendo songs on there and that kind of thing. And it was just, you know, he toured, he played to very, very small audiences at clubs. I was able to go to see the New York show. There had to be maybe 500 people there. It was just a memory I will never forget. I, I probably threw away the T-shirt. I wish I had it because I probably could have sold it uh -huh. on eBay. Um, and, uh, you know, that was one. And I'll say the other one was... Maybe something I didn't discover in 88, but a little bit later, but I go back to it and I say, this was a really great album um, from the debut from King's X, Out of the Silent Planet. I mean, this is a band that had a little bit of all the elements there. They were heavy, they were melodic, they were groovy, they had touches of the Beatles in there. They were dark and really had that groovy kind of gospel-y sound to them and you go back and you listen to this album and you look at songs like Goldilocks and Visions and The Power of Love, come back to it now that it's 34 years ago. It's a killer, killer album and why that's an underappreciated band. So those are my thoughts on maybe two, let's say, X factors, not the big sexy ones, but what meant something to me. Ian, what's on your list? Uh, listen, I echo the sentiment. I love Ty Tabor as a guitar player. He's always had some really tasteful stuff that he's done. Um, King's X is a great band anyways. Um, listen, I got I to gotta jump with the obvious stuff, especially because this was when Ian was cutting his teeth as a uh, up-and-coming guitar player wanting to be in a band. Um, two biggest albums for me that year were uh, Operation Mindcrime and No Rest for the Wicked. Yeah. And... Um, you know, what more really needs to be Operation Mindcrime alone. You know, that album, right? I mean, you talk about an album that is the pinnacle for a band. Um, it's kind of like that, you know, Master of Puppets with Metallica kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's like, this is the apex. So, you know, they've, you know, yes, everybody has done some great things along the way, but the, the total collective of music, that whole concept that whole thought was just perfect and the music the way that it was it was crafted it there was nobody that sounded like that nobody that sounded like that you know yeah, and Pink i mean floyd did and now well, uh, ian's talking about queen's right their uh operation right. mind album sorry yes yeah but then the other introduction was zach wild and i can remember that first time you know miracle man comes on the tube and i'm like who is this dude and the, the just the, the sound his guitar it was just so i'm like he just he sounds different than anybody else tonally and then he goes into the plan and he really helped to reshape ozzy osbourne uh as in in my opinion i mean because ozzy had some great stuff ultimate sim was a great album bad production but great album yeah this was a whole other level. And from this point forward, it was, you know, trajectory for both. Yeah, yeah, Zach had a great run with Ozzy with that 
um, what you, uh, what you just said, it, yep. you know, rest for the wicked, the live one bloodbath, um, yep. no more tears. That yep. was the great album. Um, that was also the, um, you know, the return of geezer Butler into the public spotlight. He was out of Correct. the public spotlight for maybe five years yep. since the born again album. And he, you know, he came in and he played on the album. He played on the tour. They brought back in songs like war pigs and sweet leaf to the set list. So it brought another cool element to going to see the live show. And, mm -hmm. and I agree. I love that album. I mean, it, it had, yeah, it had sort of its MTV, you know, airplay songs, but I mean, fire in the sky, it was kind of, you know, had that killer of giants feel to it. Just a, right. a moody, dark, all over the place song. That was just great. You know, demon alcohol, you got the heavy ones, Randy Castillo up there drumming. Oh, you know, right. Zach, a Jersey boy. He had, the, you know, had that token guitar that he still plays. You know, mm -hmm. skinny Zach with the long blonde hair up there soloing and drinking his bottle up there. I mean, for me, living down here in this tri-state area, going to see those shows at the Meadowlands, it was like Zach's hometown crowd, you know, oh, and uh, meant something more to me than that. And into your point about the Queensryche, you know, something maybe the listeners maybe well, at least maybe forget or they don't they're aware of. You know, Rage for Order was kind of a um, a weird album for him. Maybe people were confused about Rage for Order and Mindcrime. There was a buildup on Mindcrime. Oh, Reading yeah. about it in the Metal Edge magazine or Metal Hammer saying, wait till you hear what comes next from this band. It's going to sure. be a surprise. It's a concept album. It's something that could be thrown onto a stage show. And it was almost the anticipation of it was, uh, was there already, you know? And when it came out, it just blew you away because even the little interplay of the you know, Dr. Blair, Dr. Blair, and that kind of yeah. thing was, was something that wasn't really done before at that time. And, you right. know, it was a 70, 75 minute album that you just played through all the way to the end. Right. Start I mean, to it was, it was always a, it went in the tape deck that had the auto play where it would flip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, Ian, I joked earlier when you said, no, you know, you never heard anything like this. And I said, Pink Floyd. Well, you know, I was, it was tongue in cheek because there I is some, it. Sure. Uh, but the but to expand on what Walt was talking about, the production of Mind Crime, it that almost had that 70s kind of feel where the the audio imagery of Mind Crime was there with the sound effects and the, the it opens up with the foot walking the doctor walking down the hallway yeah. do, oh, yeah. do 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 you know and then you hear the audio and then throughout. And it's just, it was a picture that was painted. And that picture, like you guys said, was fucking perfect. I, uh, that was my first year of college when that album came out in September of 88. And they did an in-store signing at 10 in the morning on a Tuesday uh, at the local shopping mall. That's still about 10 minutes away from my house. And I cut school, <laughs> didn't tell my parents to go down there to bring my three cassettes to get signed there. I still have pictures of them. And, you oh, know, wow. Jeff Tate with the long curly hair and he had the sunglasses on. Yeah. I mean, a memory like it was yesterday. Now, so, I remember. Uh, go ahead, Ian. Well, I was going to say, you know, they, they, they did their due diligence with, like you had mentioned, with the 70s, you know, kind of concept, the, the you know, the, the noise, you know, bringing in sound effects and, and noise textures and different things to set the mood and to really kind of spell it out. The only other band really that, um at the time i mean maiden you know obviously with some of the the stuff they were doing was you know would dabble into that a little bit yeah um and then uh you know king diamond you know but he was already doing those concept type you know albums yeah the, con the concept thing and i we're gonna have to do our heavy metal homework but i think 
we're going to have to fact check this. I believe someone on that Pink Floyd or Pink Floyd, the Queensryche uh, recording team for Mind Crime was involved with those Pink Floyd recordings from a decade earlier. I, I think I remember reading something. Uh, now, a few years ago or a few episodes ago, let me redo that, rephrase that. We have mentioned in the past about ultimate tours. You know, the priest made in in 82. You know, there's always been the one-two punch. Well, in 88, we had a chance to see the Metallica and Justice for All, Queensryche, Operation Mindcrime. They toured together. So let, let's talk about Metallica <laughs> and, and Justice for All. Now, I don't want to rehash all the... The, you know, the, the, the audio deficiencies, the lack of bays, that's all been just uh, beaten like at that horse. But let's just, my interpretation of uh, Injustice for All was on the Monsters of Rock tour, and we're going to touch on that a little later because all these bands are sprinkled throughout there, was the introduction of In Harvester of Sorrow. That was the first song. And that's always kept a close a close uh, spot next to my heart because one, it was highlighted by Jason Newstead in front of 40,000 people uh, at two in the afternoon in Buffalo, New York, when he, you know, he was doing his come on with me and blackened is one of my favorite Metallica songs ever. And I have to disagree with metal Waltz uh, lit comment at the beginning about one being on that list that you never want to hear again. Because you talk about a masterpiece song. One is up there. Now, and Justice for All also had a lot of excess, I think. Ian, you're the musician in this band. Where, and we have argued back and forth, and I actually don't think this album is held up too well through time. As a musician, was there excess on that album that they possibly feel to this day? They it's a little cringeworthy. I th I think you know when you hear some of the interviews, you know I mean they were really in a in a nasty negative thing after losing Cliff and took a brunt out on Jason for the lack of bass. But then um, you know James had, had talked about it because there was no Cliff to help kind of rein him in. You know, um, Cl Cliff was. Um, was you know aside from Kirk was the the real you know musician musician schooled. Um, James is, is is more of a gut guy. He's a great riff writer, but when they were working together, you saw the magic that they had. I mean, those first three albums. I mean, those are just beautiful. Yeah. But they get into uh, Justice, and there was a lot of a lot of experimentation. But the one thing that stood out in it was in that experimentation there are dabblings of almost prog thrash mm -hmm. in the riffing that james was doing yeah the way that he was writing i mean you listen to uh uh shortest straw the way that the riffs and everything are, I mean, and they're jumping all over the place you know i hold a, a fondness to it because it was it was a big deal to me um, it was, you know, after master, I was like, Wah. but I'm but, talking about excess, like the, the song Injustice for all. Come on. Oh yeah. Well, it's very, it's very <laughs> elaborate. Yeah. I mean, nine and, and a half minutes. There you yep. go. 
Yeah, right. right. Well, can, can, Same we, with, can, yeah. can we edit out like three minutes of this and sure. no one would even notice it was, but that was then, this is now, well, what, what, quickly, what's your uh, take on justice? The yeah, I like, the, I do like the songs. I think, you know, you got 75, 80% of the songs are great. Sure. Um, again, I'm more of the fan of the appreciate the less overplayed songs. And I think this aside from one, this one, this one has it. Um, yeah, I think it's just a, it's, it's a bit of a complicated album, longer songs that probably could have been scaled down, but definitely a good one. And I think, you know, they really didn't hit the road after Monsters of Rock on this till 89. And I saw it a couple of times on the road there. Yeah. You know, they had, the, they had the big stage thing where they had the whole, uh, you know, uh, courtroom thing kind of fall apart on stage, which was totally killer and, and, you know, good memories for me. And let's go back to the Queensryche, right? Queensryche, you know, Operation Mindcrime, they were, you know, they were doing the circuit now. They opened up for Def Leppard multiple times in September of 88 in New Jersey, three nights in a row opened up for Def Leppard. And then they ended up jumping on the Metallica tour later, either later that year or early 89. And that's really where they rose to stardom. And yeah. we'll see in a couple of years when Empire comes out, what that they're now the arena headliner. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. I didn't know that they, they uh, toured with Def Leppard. Yeah. And that goes back to, you know, going back to the beginning of what I said about this episode about, okay, you take the likes of all of those bands that, uh, you know, maybe put out all those songs that we've overheard. You know, however, and you could throw Def Leppard into that, too. And granted, Hysteria was released in 87. But if you recall, the real hits didn't come till 88 anyway. 80, they yeah. were playing the half of the arenas in 87. Yeah. Yeah. 88 Sugar. was the year it peaked where all yeah. the singles came out. So, I mean, you throw all those hits, hits from Hysteria and the Bon Jovi songs and the Cinderella songs and the Kick songs. And, you know, there's your, your hair playlist for four hours, right? right. So Those are the big guys of hair. The, yeah. uh, you know, the, the little guys of hair gave the hair moniker a bad name, if you will. But, um, right. Um, right. Yeah, no, you're right. Animal woman. Well, the Def Leppard, we've gone over this before. I think they made the mistake by having w- w- woman as the opening single. Right. His, right. Hysteria. But, um, yeah. but I think that point is, you know, your, your everything from your MTV to your classic rock to your, you know, pop radio at the time, you know, to your headlines and magazines, to all your concert tours were all these bands and everybody else was secondary. You know, it was, yeah, there was plenty of pop hits like Madonna and whoever else. Right. But these guys were on, on top. And it was again, a year that doesn't get repeated. This is is at the top, you know, it was a great time, man. I'm getting excited. I was just getting, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Hey, listen, how about, how about that? Let's jump over to Van Halen, David Lee Roth camp. Right. Yeah. 88 skyscraper. Again, another album that when you look back at it and you say eh, it was probably a little bit of a maybe a drop off for me to and smile, but still had some killer songs. Hot dog and a shake and the bottom line and just like paradise. And knuckle bones. Knuckle and bones. Right. And knuckle was, bones. Oh, my God. It's just Ian's song. The tour. Dave just amping it up even higher. 86 was the surfboard in the boxing ring. 88 has sure. got a mountain up on the on the stage and he's climbing down a freaking rope during the title track. Yeah, and you wasn't know? that the uh he had the big microphone too? He replaced them. Yeah, he replaced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he always I, kept that. He used to dance around with it with a cowboy hat on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Damn Good. That's a classic. That is a great um, song. A very underrated, fantastic yes. song. And it's Hina. all about the old days. Oh, he was a great song. Hina yeah. is a great song. Yeah. Um, you know, Vi and Sheehan recorded it. Sheehan bailed out before the tour. And then 
actually uh, Bissonette's brother. Brother, man. Yeah. Yep. But uh, I saw that tour several times. And then the Van Halen OU812. Um, this honestly, was my. What's that? This was my coming back to Van Halen. But finish your thought. Oh, I, I don't think it aged well. I don't think it. Um, 5150. Um, 5150 sounds good. But OU812. Um, you always find out later on that it was rushed in a way. And you never, you never really know what the truth is. You know, when they comment on it 40 years later, like, oh, yeah, that album, we, you know, we wrote half of it and we don't even remember it and we rushed it. And hmm. so, um, well, Listen, you're going to say, Ian, what, what about OU812? Driving in the car and you put it in and all of a sudden you hear, take one. And then the king comes on. And I was like, thank God he's freaking back. But I agree with you. The production on it has not it's got a, there's a thinness to it now. Yeah. Back then we probably didn't notice it, but there's a thinness in the middle of it between the guitar and the way that it was done. I don't know. Maybe they just, you have to remember he was effing around with the way he was setting up his effects, wet, dry. Bleh, yeah. And, uh, and Dave, Dave produced that and uh, more yep. keyboard oriented with uh, yep. late, great Brett, Brett Tugel. And yeah. so now let's do a little impromptu unscientific uh, poll here. Sure. Uh, we got three people here. Eat them and smile or, or um, uh, skyscraper or oh, you wait one too. I vote skyscraper. I got to vote skyscraper. 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 <laughs> uh, Listen, I'll never, I never go against Roth. I just, I can't, you know, he even with some of his weird stuff later, you know, if somebody said, well, you can only listen to David Lee Roth, fine. I'll listen to David Lee Roth. Anything no. David Lee Roth, I'm good with. And again, I think and we, we talked about this in 86 and maybe 87. I think a lot of it, we were maybe a little bit jaded because of the stage oh, show we saw, sure. right? And the antics. When you look back at the material, like, you know, looking at the track list on this Van Halen, think about how they even started expanding their horizons even more on this one, right? The song Cabo Wabo, the song Feels So Good, finished Great what song. you started. I mean, that was, that was even further out expanding from right. 5150, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, so I got to give these guys credit there too. Maybe at the time we were like, eh, Eddie's not there 100%, not enough rockers, but look at it now, right? Give these guys credit. Here's the one thing. If you go wherever, YouTube, whatever, there is recorded video from 85 of Eddie working on the song Amsterdam that didn't yeah. come out until the balance album in 85. He's yeah. working on that freaking riff. So yeah. he had in the can at that point, summer nights, Cabo Wabo and Amsterdam. And those are three classic Van Hagar songs, you know, and Vern knows I, I love Sammy, but I could never go against Roth. Right. There's he's just, there's a certain magic to his insanity that brings everything together. And, you know, that Roth era Van Halen, it's sacred. It's kind of like the Burton era uh, Metallica. Well, you know, but, but, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that OU812 had bad material. There's a lot of memorable, great stuff on there. It's just, in oh, my eyes, it, it paled a little bit. Well, you know, to make an analogy, you're not going to open that Van Halen classic safe because you don't have Roth. You don't have Templeman directing Roth 
You right. don't have the the board of Sunset Studios, Sunset Sound. Right. It's Ed's tone was different once he, you know, as well as I do. So the Built whole, the studio, yeah. Yeah, yeah, once he went up to 5150, that Van Halen, that magic was gone. Right. Right. And they went from a great Hall of Fame band to a good late, mid 80, late 80, 90s rock band. So. Yep. And look at, look at, you want to, you want to have a little debate. Look at the tours, oh. right? 80, I mean, Roth through 86 and 88 and 87, he, you know, he took out Tesla. He took out Cinderella. Was 88 was yeah. all about, took out Poison. All these bands yeah. became almost arena status on their own. Yeah. You know, whereas Van Halen took out BTO on 5150. Yep. And, you know, 88 was okay. The Monsters of Rock show, right? Which is a whole different setting, but it was, you know, very different approaches to uh, to them getting out on the road. I don't know which ones of them did better in Europe. I, I could almost imagine maybe Van Halen did a little bit better outside of the States. That's just maybe my opinion, but who knows? Well, no, they they never toured outside the States. Okay. And when they when they eventually made it over to uh, England, they opened up for Bon Jovi on the balance tour. They never, though, they, they did uh, Monsters of Rock in 84 with Roth, that there was the last set of shows they did yes. and they yeah. never really went back there. But yeah. the, let's touch on that Monsters of Rock, Van Halen's Monsters of Rock in the summer of 1988, the Van Halen, the Scorpions, we'll touch on Scorpions, um, Doc in Kingdom Come, Metallica. Metallica. Um, but the Scorpions at that time, that was right before, well, no, it was right, uh, there was the Savage Amusement. And that was the follow-up to Love It First Thing. But the Scorpions always had a kick-ass live stage show. Now, Oh, huge. Ian, did you see Monsters of Rock? No, not, not live. I did not. No, okay. Because um, I didn't have that kind of scratch back then, you know. And <laughs> I was probably I was probably grounded. I'm just <laughs> letting you know, okay? Okay. Well, um, outside of Metallica, I think uh, the Scorpions really took that show walt you saw it yeah i, I saw it, it was, you know again not to just go back in time but it was my graduation from high school sure. weekend and they yeah. played two nights at giant stadium in new jersey i went to the second night sat in the nosebleed seats behind the stage that was oh, look sure. how far i've come since then but, <laughs> but but yeah i mean i mean come on you're out there at one o'clock in the afternoon in summer and you know, and uh, the Scorpions were great. I mean, Metallica was either, what, third or fourth on the bill. Can you imagine Dokken was ahead of them at that point in time? And it almost was a weird mix because Kingdom Come was this new up-and-coming band, yet they already were flagged as a Led Zeppelin ripoff before they even hit the market. So they yeah. got a bad name, whether they, they should have or not. You know, then you got Metallica, who's the heavy metal band. And then you're coming on with Dokken, Scorpions, Van Halen, you know, crowds burnt out by the end of the day, but come on now, later on, we, we you know, can imagine we could get that now at one show. We would love, yeah. we would love that. Oh right? yes. You know what would have made that show perfect is if Guns N' Roses was on instead of Kingdom Come. Yeah. Right. And Dokken, the reason Dokken got that top billing was because, you know, at the time they're on Electra and they, they ended up breaking up after that, but they did have more pull. And again, I'm not going to name drop in, but I am going to tell a story. A few years ago, we brought Don Dockin into Rochester for a concert, me and uh, uh, Metal Mark Washoe, when we promoted the Dockin show. We were driving around Rochester doing press with Don. So we spent the day with him. 
And on three separate occasions at three different interview outlets, Don was make sure to make it known that Metallica played before Dokken on the Van Halen Monsters of Rock tour. So, yeah, I'm like, yeah, but I was there, Don. And we we know what kind of letdown there was after Metallica, after they kicked off the sneakers and all the beer cups off the stage for Metallica because the crowd went nuts. And then you came out. If it wasn't for George Lynch, you know, where would you be? But go ahead. No, I was going to say to your point about maybe guns being a good fit for that. Well, that would have been a good idea, but they were on the road as the support act for Aerosmith in 88 on a permanent vacation Vacation. tour. So that's where they were growing up that ladder on their own there. And I saw they were out there, just not on the right tour. You know, saw that show at Weedsport, New York. And here's another fun fact. That was the show that Slash referred to as the Dust Bowl when when Guns N' Roses was on the cover of Rolling Stone during the interview. And they talked about the Aerosmith Guns N' Roses summer tour. Great call. Well, great pull on that. And he said, um, not verbatim, but pretty much, yeah, we're playing Syracuse, New York at Weedsport. And it was an old racetrack and they had wood chips on, on the infield. And it was like a gazillion degrees and Paradise City started and just the, the dust came up. And so they coined it the Dust Bowl. And but um. Yeah, that was there a, great- a historical show in the books. I'll give you one even further than that. Maybe not as good, but on that same tour, Deep Purple played only two shows in America that year. And one of them was the middle act in between Guns N' Roses and Aerosmith at Giant Stadium. And I remember it like it was yesterday. There was over an hour wait in between Guns and Deep Purple. I don't know why. The crowd was rowdy. They played about an hour, 10 minutes, and Dorn Smoke on the Water in the upper tier corner somebody lit the lit some of the, the seats on fire and there was a ah. big bonfire going on. I mean, man, I wish there was digital cameras back then. Right. You know, if you search giant stadium, deep purple smoke on the water in 1988, I'm sure something will come up that shows a recap of that from a local newspaper, but good times. Good times guys. Listen, here's to go back on the, the whole Metallica before docking. George and uh, Don have gone on record multiple times in interviews and said that Metallica kicked the shit out of them on that tour between them being (laughs) fucked up on, you know, substances and the infighting and stuff like that. And then you had this energetic band that was on their ascension even further coming up, you know, opening for that or opening before them. That's a hard act to swallow or or to follow. Excuse me. Yeah. And then, you know, like to, to piggyback what you said about the Scorps, I mean, you know, Metallica is is literally, you know, Euro metal uh, to their core. And then you have this powerhouse in the Scorpions who are this Euro metal monster. So they're kindred spirits almost, so to speak, in that kind of, they know how to work those big festival crowds. You know, they, they're used to that shit. Yeah. You know, where I think everybody else was, they were a little underclassed, even Van Halen for the biggest shows as they played. You know, you would have thought that they might have had a little more moxie, but it, you never know what was going on. Well, then. Van Halen was never a stadium band. Even during the Roth era, outside of the US Festival and that opening act on the Rolling Stones tour back on Fair Warning, you never saw Van Halen playing stadiums. They weren't, you know, they didn't play stadiums. No. And they're always an arena act. And 
like like Walt said, by the time Van Halen came on, Christ, I saw the show in June of 1988. By the time Van right. Halen came on, it was, you know, people were toasted. The sun was going down. You know what happens after the beers yeah. in the sun all day. So, um, but there was a great tour of the Scorpions. Any sure. comments on Savage Amusement? Um, it was a not great. Album. Uh, not great. It was a letdown for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Iron Maiden, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. We're doing, that, that's another band that brought uh, Guns N' Roses out on tour with them. There was a short lived yeah. Seventh Son tour, and Guns N' Roses opened up. They didn't come to Rochester, they played Toronto, but that was Guns N' Roses was on that tour. Uh, I saw them with Ace Freely. They, they toured in my area with Freely's Comet, which was cool. Yeah. Uh, didn't they uh, didn't they tour part of uh, do some UK dates together? That, that I don't Ver? that I don't know. I think they did the Monsters of Rock in the UK or da- what was downloaded. It was what Donington. was downloaded called the Donington. Monsters of Rock Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Seventh Son. It was a cool album. You know, it was the beginning of what's that? Great yeah. album, in my opinion. Great. Yeah, album. I dug it. I liked um, Somewhere in Time better. Um, yeah, but it was. So did I. It was probably the best because then after that, it really started unraveling. And Bruce has mentioned, you know, he's just burned out. You know, by the time they were uh, doing Seven Son of the Seven Son, the the machine that was made in was just huge. Every, yeah huge. And I, I liked it. Um, you know, Moonchild, the Clairvoyant. Clairvoyant's um, a great song. Yeah, that's why <laughs> I played it the MTV other night. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, guys, they got him some MTV play, which was not common for Maiden. Can yeah, I play with Madness? out there? I mean, yeah. can I play with Madness? Evil that men do, clairvoyant. I mean, yeah. that gave him a little bit more airplay too. I think it's. I think he got out of eight songs. He got six real solid ones there. And well, that's, that's, some of those songs are still in the set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the evil ma- that men do, men do. and great song. Uh, can I play with Madness? I think that probably got dropped because of the harmonies. But you know, I, I dug Seventh Son. Yeah. Um, and it came back and did it thirty years later, right? I mean, I think that's another thing to talk about. They. I think they didn't, they felt like in 88, it didn't get its fair, let's say, justice globally touring. And it came no. back and recreated yeah. it in whatever year it was, 2008, you know? They're all about the celebration, too, when it comes to those, yeah. those classic albums. I don't albums. remember if all, I don't know if they did that necessarily with all the, the older albums. This was one they picked, you know? I could well, be wrong. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, Power Slave was a big one, and so was yeah. uh, Peace of Mind. You know, yeah. yeah, but it was good. It was another big tour, big arena act, big, big oh, yeah. set. Of course, me being a kiss geek at that time, Freely Comet. That's isn't that where the uh, the one live video uh, came from? Uh, Seven Sun, didn't it? The there was one, one live video. Maiden has like fourteen or fifteen live videos. Yeah, it was the oh god, I, I I'm trying to picture the stage. With well, they had the icicles around. and. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same infrastructure every, even to this day. It's the same right. skeleton, and they just skin it with whatever yeah, the right. the theme. Uh, I'm gonna yeah, leave this cool next stuff. section up to you guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little break, and it's Sunset Strip, not so much California, but the poisons, the rats. You know, maybe you want to get a little bu- bullet boys. Uh, what do you guys want? You're a little more uh, knowledgeable on that. I'm gonna let you guys handle this one. Lead off, well. All right. I mean, let's just say, uh, I mean, go down the line, you know, rat release, reach for the sky. It was an okay album. 
you know, maybe one or two decent songs on it, but it was almost like they've already passed their peak at that point. And yeah, these other bands, like I said, you had Cinderella, Poison, they're on the upswing, releasing, you know, radio hits left and right. And then, you know, you had to me at other bands, maybe smaller bands too, like uh, the Bullet Boys and, you know, Kicks. I mean, Kicks, that was an amazing album, oh, right? I mean, that, that, uh, you know, what, three or four hits off of that album don't, you know, uh, yeah, at least four. Like on the songs, but uh, Cold Blood and, you know, mm-hmm. Blow My Fuse. Yeah. Uh, don't Close Your Eyes. Uh, Red Light, Green Light. Yeah, uh, that's four right there. And I think there was even another one. You know, I mean, it was, listen, Blow My Fuse was huge. I loved it. You know, I mean, I I, I liked, you know, Kicks for Kids and you yeah. know, Midnight Dynamite and stuff like that. You know, Kicks was always just a great hard rock band. Any of those um, songs end up on the Waltz uh, Stay Away From Top 40 list? Yes, yes. I, I wrote down three of them from that album. <laughs> I mean, and let's look at look at Winger, a band, right? A very underappreciated band that I probably gave no respect to in 1988. I thought, oh, Winger, you know, Kip Winger was in Alice Cooper band. He's cool. Now he's dancing around doing his little acrobatic, uh, you know, uh, whatever his stuff uh, on stage. Sure. And like, he, he and was too he good looking. Ruined it, he was too you good know, But it. you look at that. Yeah. I saw them live at M3 a couple, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I couldn't believe how good they were. I mean, another band that I like, I, I just say, what was I thinking back then? This is a, a magnificent band. Whether or not you love the hits, they are a sure. talented group of musicians. Ian, I'm sure you could appreciate them. Yeah, I, um, you know, because Eddie Van Halen's school of guitar playing, you know, you had Vito Brada and then you had uh, Red Beach. And those were like the two guys when it came to the master class in tapping aside from mm. Jeff Watson. And when Reb Beach did that solo for the uh, for the song Madeline, which was their first single that they released, I was blown away. I was like, all right, give me more of this guy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, you listen to the production, you know, the, the whole thing. Yeah. It was very poppy, but there was still some killer stuff on there. And guitar playing wise, you know, Reb just he kind of took things to a different level on his own. Um, the other one that you and I talked about, too, Walt, was uh, L.A. Guns. Yep. That's that self-title was that was a great album. Yeah, it was know? a great album. You know, and it was that kind of gritty, darker, like an appetite, you know, type of, of band. You know, there was there was that underbelly, you know, that they kind of uh you know uh, were part of, you know, which is pretty cool. Um I didn't uh the rat was not a big thing for yeah, me. Like I said, all. they had the two radio hits, and that was about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but, but I, I do have to say though that the live album "Beast from the East" from Dokken was that was a favorite of mine back then, you know, and uh, you know it it just it spelled the end, you know, unfortunately, which was too yeah. bad, but you know, kind of you know brought it right up. But um, even the the one studio track uh, "Will the Sunrise" uh, at the end, it was a good song, you know, it was a well crafted song. Uh, but you know, listening to George Lynch rip a live guitar solo is that's a treat. So yeah. Uh we're about ready to wrap this up, but let's touch on some of the heavier stuff. Uh Slayer South of Heaven. Uh, lo- yeah, love Slayer. And that was part Slayer. of that 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 first part of their career is it mirrors yep. the Metallica, you know, South yep. of Heaven, Season the Abyss, yep. Raining Blood, South of Heaven, or um um Hellowates. Hellowates, thank you. Uh, I like South of Heaven. It was almost a little more accessible 
if you will, <laughs> you know, even though for Slayer, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a little more production value was a little better, but I still go back to that. It was a couple of weeks ago. I, I went back to it. I was driving around. I got a new vehicle with a CD player and I just grabbed it and sounded killer. Dave Lombardo forgot how sick he is. Uh, Testament, oh, yeah. the new order, great San Francisco great. band. Always, always love them. And yeah. I'm going to uh, flotsam and jetsam. It was the follow-up to Doomsday, No Place for Disgrace. Honestly, I listen back to it now, and there's really not much that really captures me like it did back then. Um, I hate to right. say it. We got to be honest here. I, it really uh, yeah. it, it didn't hold up well. And honestly, if you didn't uh, make the correlation with him and Jason Newstead, I think they would probably just be a footnote. And anyone yeah. that's into flotsam, I apologize. That's just my take. So um, they had yeah. some, I've been back and forth with them with some of their material for years. Uh, yeah. Uh, King diamond. I know you guys are big diamond fans. Them great album. Love it. King. What a, concept story. Story. what a concept story. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Just um, amazing. ACDC blow up my video. Nothing really there. They were just doing some fillers and guns and roses lies. This, this is when the Guns N' Roses disappointment for me really started because they always seem to just put stuff out. You know, they put out one side of old live stuff, which was cool. And then the studio stuff that, I mean, I like those songs, One in a Million and then the other, ver um, other version used of to love her. Um, Used to Love Her and stuff. But it was yep, a disappointment. Yep. And it won't it didn't get any better when they did the spaghetti incident a few years after that. So, yeah. but I think there's one was fun. Uh, what do you got? What do you guys take on any of that? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I never, I never liked the song patience and I thought it was okay, but it, you know, rose them into stardom that they were already on even higher. So it just, yeah. you know, put them even bigger than they already were at that time. So crazy yeah. for an EP, right? Yeah. Now and at that point too, the, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say the the live stuff, you know, Nice Boys and uh, Mama Ken and stuff that they had been circulating, you know, uh, between the Live Like a Suicide and then again with the with Lies. I mean, that was fun shit. You yeah, know, it was. All of us rockers to hear that. It was like, oh, my God. So and they had, a, they had a, uh, one of those MTV live concerts from they were doing a series from the Ritz in New York City. Yeah, because that's yep. a place that I visited many a times. I was actually at, at the White Lion one from 1980, by, by the way, I was at, in, in person for that. Ah, one. Nice. But the Guns of Roses, they, well, that was another one that just another form of media that gave them like it was on all the time. People were, you know, they're recording it on their uh, VHS recorders. Right. Yeah. 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 Huge. You know, and, and, uh, well, you know and I think. It may it bought Angry Anderson of Rose Tattoo a few houses because it got him yeah. some, oh, yeah. some royalties because bad boys don't play rock and roll. That's a Rose Tattoo song. That's it. So, you guys, we're um, forgetting one of our favorites here, Judas Priest. We can't leave him out. That was like this that, one or not. Thanks for stealing my thunder, dude. That was the last one. Ram it down. I was getting to it. So sorry, you can give me the steel fist next time I see you, Verno, for stealing the fire. The fuck? All my research for this. Well, well, that being said, fucking Judas Priest ram it down. I am gonna let my buddy Metal Walt take this one. Walt, 
Well, so they, uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. It just 88 priests was, I don't know. To me, they were just, I don't know. They were not cool no. or just, they were just, I don't know why, but maybe it was coming off a of turbo and, uh, you know, you listen Johnny to the album good. now, it's, it's pretty Trying heavy. too hard. Trying yeah, too hard. No, it just didn't seem to catch. But the songs themselves, like, they're not horrible. They're just, it, it didn't stand up over time, right? Listen, you, you do a video for the song Johnny Be Good. Now, right. That was a mistake. Right. Come on. I don't know. Priest, that's, a, that's another. Maybe we'll have another show. Uh, the best and worst of Priest. But I mean, they, like Blood listen. Red Skies, they still love that song. They're still playing it in 2022. You know, would I pick that one to play in 2022? Probably not, but I guess it's okay for them. You know, I'm they a totally bad re- song, but cool album cover, they- guys. Right. They totally redeemed themselves the next go. Yes. Yeah. Totally redeemed themselves. All right. Well, I'll have to do my heavy metal homework. What was the next album? Painkiller. Painkiller, baby. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, they, you know what? Uh, that's um, it's a great segue into uh, 1989. Walt, you got a preview for the next one? I do. And I just want a, a few touching points on 88 to exit. Let's not also forget... The, the movie that was out that year called The Decline of the Western what? Civilization Civilization Part Two, The Metal Years by yeah. Penelope Spheres. Yeah. Was. That yeah. was another yeah. one of those weird culty classic sunset strip, you know, Chris Holmes drunk on the side of a pool, you know, whatever, Lizzie Borden, cool, go check it out. And, and, and something maybe that feels uncomfortable, but it's worth acknowledging, right? You know, 88 was also the seed year, if I should say that for that tilt in the hard rock style that would come a couple years later, right? Yeah. And you look at your research, 88 bands that were formed. I mean, number one, Soundgarden actually put out an album in 88. Nine Inch Nails, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, and Mother Love Bone, who had turned into um, Pearl, Jam. Pearl Jam, all all got their seed started in 88. It so, was it uh, James Addiction uh, getting Perry Perry Farrell and yeah. Stephen Perkins and young Dave Navarro. And yeah, could have been, but now, listen, that's, that's 88. It's just what to come, but 89, you know, again, I thought of 88 as it's the peak year, but then you look at 89 and you still got big releases from Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, the cult faith, no more great white Motley Crue and Tesla all put gigantic albums out. And then you had debut bands. Skid right, Row. Bandlands, Mr. Big, Extreme, Skid Row, Warrant, all debut albums in 89. You know, so another big year. There was also a huge festival or show that took place in Russia that we could talk about next time. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the infamous Grammys Award that started in 89. Uh, so I will leave it at that. More to come in our next episode. All right. All right, man. That's uh, that's God. I'm not going to sleep well tonight thinking about that Grammy incident. All right, uh, Metal Walt. dripping down his nose. <laughs> yeah, Metal Walt, uh, thank you for uh, slivering off some time. Ian O'Rourke, as always, it's a pleasure to have you guys in here. Uh, just a reminder, get up to that MetalMayhemROC.com website. You know what to do. Leave a review, subscribe, check out our live radio show on Monday nights, download some past episodes. And as always, folks, be safe and keep it heavy. See you next week, gang.
Metal for life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.